1: Welcome to New Books in Mathematics, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Corey Brunson, a host of the channel, and I'm talking today with Thomas Huckle, author, co-author of Bits and Bugs, a Scientific and Historical Review of Software Failures in Computer, sorry, Computational Science, published by SIAM in 2019. This book is a treasure trove of case studies in the long, fraught history of software bugs, the authors organize hundreds of cases into a new taxonomy that guides their chapters. And exceptionally illustrative episodes are meticulously detailed, while key mathematical and computational concepts are treated rigorously as needed. They've joined me, or I'm sorry, Thomas has joined me to discuss a few of these episodes, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to. So, Thomas, welcome to the podcast. Oh, welcome for you, too. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Tobias, could not join us, uh, but I, uh, you will be able to speak to both your contributions, I think. Yeah, so I know him quite well, so I
0: can talk for him.
1: So speaking of which, um, in addition to your own mathematical background, could
0: you describe your co-authors? Um, uh, yeah, so first, for, to my background, first, I, I couldn't decide whether to study more physics or more mathematics. So I started studying as a teacher for high school in Germany. There you have a combination of these two topics. But after a while, I found out that math is really what I'm in. So I, I changed to major math. Um, and when I, wa- I was finished with math, then there was an open position for a PhD in the computer science department. So I switched also to the computer science department, and then I came back to the math. And in the end, I, I got professorship in between math and computer science. And that's a very nice position, especially when you think of the software bugs, because they are often, they need both math and computer science. And speaking for Tobias, um, he was studying math and uh, computer science, and then he wrote his PhD, and now he has some permanent position. He's not professor, but he's working on his habilitation. That's still a possibility to get professor professor in, in Germany. Um, and he's organizing the chair of compu- uh, scientific computing here in Munich. And he, his major topic now is uh, uncertainty quantification, things like that. And for me, it's more high-performance computing, numerical linear algebra. So this is the background that we have. And that's really a background that appears in a lot of the software bugs. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense.
1: Yeah, so building off that background, it seems a natural launch point for the book that you've written. Uh, So, what were your goals with this book, and who is your target readership?
0: Um, So, we have a mixed audience (laughs) that we think of. So, one is really basic elementary lectures in computer science or in math, in numerical methods, that you provide some examples that could lead a little bit to an entertainment also during class, and also emphasizing the importance of some topics that appear in, in class. So, for example, when you do numerical methods, it's conditioning uh, errors, uh, rounding errors, and things like that, or also for computer science. Um, and um, therefore, this was one goal to provide something. Then also for seminars. So also in Munich, we all, every, every year we do one seminar on software bugs. We also try to catch up with the new developments, with new cases. Um, And then, also the idea of the book is to provide the mathematical and computer science background also for non-experts. So when you are a physicist or when you are a chemist or some other engineering, that you are still able to understand what's going on. um, So that it's also entertaining not only for experts. So that should be the idea.
1: So, let's begin talking
0: about the content of the book
1: in the introduction where you begin. Could you first describe your preferred classification scheme for software problems?
0: Um, Classification scheme? You you mean this uh, graph that we have with error, bug? Okay. (laughs) Let's Uh, begin there, but there's another one I also uh, want to touch on. Okay, okay. So I thought a lot in the last days about this question. Um, I have it here on the cover of the book. So the main thing is um, when there is a bug, So there are different levels where it happens. So Usually the first level is the human being that makes a typo in the code or makes some wrong estimate or things like that. So it's outside the software. It's still in the brain of the people that develop the code. But then they write the code. And then this error uh, transforms in the code. But it's still not active. It's only written in the code. And it could happen that this error never shows up, because the code is never running, or the code is running, and it never reaches the the line where the error is. So, um, And then the next step would be that it's really the code is running, and then, the error happens. And then when the error really happens in the code, then you have the failure or the failure. So you have this hierarchy of things starting in the brain of of the person, going down in the code, and then going in the running code, and then really happening and leading to a failure. And the bug is something like uh, a big name for all of this. That doesn't differ.
1: Now, The book is exceptional in its breadth and in its depth. And from time to time, it also has quite some entertainment value. One of those instances is a different typology of software bugs you introduce in the introduction. Um, And so I'd love for you to to name and explain a few of these types. Uh, They go by derivatives of German surnames. And I found them quite amusing when I read them.
0: that's quite entertaining (laughs) and you also find it in Wikipedia for example Um, and uh, so the nice thing is that it's a comparison with the physics notation that you you have and uh, um, there are a lot of connections to to physical things um, like conditioning for example and uh, an obvious thing is that also in the physical view of the world you have deterministic, non-deterministic things um, and um, so the Bohr bug for example would be something deterministic like the Bohr atomic model that's really like planets and it's really deterministic and then it could be chaotic then you would have the Mandel bug like the Mandelbrot um, said. or it could be Schroding that it changes or Heisenberg uh, Heisenberg that um, the, the observer has influence on the buck. And sometimes the bug uh, disappears when you look for him. And sometimes it only shows up when you don't look. So there are these different things. Um, Hint bug, that's also happening. That's a catastrophic bug. And yeah, the last one is the Lance Armstrong bug that uh, uh, it passes all tests, but still you know there is a bug. (laughs) 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 So that's... Yeah, that was uh, a great opener, I thought. Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: Okay, um, let's jump into the content of the the book. The more substantive chapters begin with chapter two, which focuses on machine numbers, precision, and rounding errors. Um, Many of us might believe we're familiar enough with this topic to skip the chapter, but I was impressed by just how many of these episodes were more complicated um, than even some of the official accounts led on. Did you choose to go in depth uh, on just like a set of exceptionally interesting cases, or would you say that these cases that you focus most of your attention on are really representative of the complications
0: of these problems in the real world? Um, so, first, that was really the starting point, more or less, because we, we do numerical methods in teaching. And there you introduce numbers and how to uh, describe numbers. Um, and therefore, that seemed very basic and very interesting. And it's also against the feeling of many people that. They say, okay, when you do something with the computer, then it's okay. That was the the, uh, belief in the beginning of the computer area that the computer do not fail. Maybe the hardware is failing, but not the computer. And this number of things show you that the computer fails all the time. It makes always errors. (laughs) There's no computer that does right computing. That's something that many people do not see. And therefore, this uh, first chapter is very basic and very important, because the thing is, the computer is finite. And the mathematical set of numbers, it's infinite. Infinite. So there has to be an error from the beginning, from the start. The only thing that you can exactly as, uh, write down are the integers. But also there, you can have the overflow. But when you go to real numbers, you are lost. The computer never will give you the right ex- uh, ex- result. And the other thing is that you have to be careful okay, you, you, your final result is a certain number. And The next question is how many digits of these numbers are really meaningful and that also has to be considered so that you can follow the whole sequence of numerical computations that you can estimate is your result exact in the first digits or in the first 10 digits and that's very important also for application and all this appears in this first chapter on on rounding mm-hmm. it's a much um, deeper
1: topic than i think a lot of people who are just getting started with yeah, software because it, it engineering because it's so
0: obvious that yeah computation should be the thing that the computer does well and the answer is no it, it's wrong from the beginning and you always have to estimate uh, your result, whether, whether it makes sense. You cannot trust the computer.
1: So an, what I thought was an especially interesting case study was the Patriot missile defense system failure during the Gulf War. So I wonder if you could just describe how that incident unfolded to, say, an onlooker following the news or even someone internal to, the, to um, choice to decision-making following the events.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so the story is that... Uh, okay, this... Patriot system that is uh, thought of um, hitting attacking scuds in the Iraq war, and the system needs a computer. And the computer needs a time, and as I said before, um, there is some rounding error, and also when I use a number of seconds as time in the computer, there is some rounding error, and I have to be careful. And what happened was that this time was used. So I, I observe an attacking scut. And when I observe it, I measure some speed, position. and Then I have a certain range where I assume that might be a scut. The first moment, I don't know whether it's an attacking uh, missile, or it's a bird, or it's uh, an airplane. So I measure it. And then I have my range. Um, that tells me, okay, when it's a SCAT, then it should be in the next 10 seconds at this place. Mm-hmm. Then I look at the next place, and when there is a, the missile, then I know, okay, that's in a scut, I should hit it. I should destroy it. If it's in another place, then I say, okay, it's it's something else. It's a cat or <laughs> I don't know. And exactly, there was the error that by rounding error, this time window shifted to a place that... It was expecting the, this cut in another um, position on, on, on the sky. And then it uh, was, was not destroyed. Um, but that, that's a very good example where you see how difficult it is to, to get really to the bottom of, of the error. Because the really thing was not the surrounding error. So you have two different times. You have the, the time of the first observation, and you have the time where you expect where it is. And usually you need the difference of these two times. And when there's a rounding error, that disappears by building the difference. So the Mm, error was was really there that at certain positions in the code, they used the more exact time. and, And another line in the code, they still used the old time. And then they built the difference between two times with different uh, accuracy. And that caused uh, the error. There were more ingredients. So for example, that there was a software update. um, In the handbook, there was some note that the system should not run more than 10 or 20 hours because the developers knew that there is some problems with the accuracy in the time. And all this came together in the end Um, to lead to this case that the Patriot system was not able to destroy the attacking scud, and the scud hit uh, an American barracks in Saudi Arabia and um, killed some people. But it's really an example where you see there are different ingredients that have to come together um, to lead to this failure. Yeah, um, and this is a good example of the amount of detail, the amount
1: of consideration that goes into what ultimately caused a software failure. You have at one level, this uh, difference, different, cal- different levels of resolution or different precision that are being used. Um, they don't matter on their own terms, but then you combine them when you're calculating this difference and you get this slight error. The error accumulates, which it might not have done if the calculations were grouped differently. And the fix, as you describe, the um, requirement not to let the systems run for longer than a certain number of hours, which would have prevented the accumulated error from from causing a problem, was not was not done. And so, so many of these cases seem to involve this compounding of problems that um, make me wonder to what extent are what we think of as these soft, the story of software failures is. Seems to much more often than not be one of convergence where errors, as you described them earlier in your taxonomy, that don't necessarily cause problems exist all over the place. And we only learn about them when one of these failures takes place because of some additional con- um, factors that play into it. Yeah.
0: Another um, aspect uh, is also the political and commercial aspect here, because, okay, the army. <clears throat> wants to give a picture of good weapons that work perfect. And, we, and also, the, the producer, the, the industry that manufactures this missile, they want to have a nice picture of the working uh, Patriot system. And therefore, there is really a group that is interested to go not too deep in the discussion what's, what was wrong. Because I want to sell my, my uh, system. And uh, nowadays, the Israelis um, have their own, they they took the Patriot system and developed their own system because they didn't trust uh, the Patriot system. So there's also, in the environment of all this, there's a lot of commercial, financial, it's always financial in the end. Somebody wants to earn money, and if there (laughs) is a bug in the system, then it's not so easy to earn money. Um, So that all comes together. Yeah another recurring problem in disasters um
1: as i read history in general you also this 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 case also has one other feature that seems to be fairly common which is that um the difference in integer or sorry the if the difference in um precision between the two calculations was due to one side of the code having been fixed or ha- having been um a problem that was addressed but that fix was not Percolated throughout the code, or was not put into every um, part of the uh, part of
0: the software body. Is yeah. that? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, that, that similar thing happens in the Ariane Five case. So there's one aspect is uh, historical, that also this Patriot system, it's old. It's very old in the basic. It was originally uh, meant uh, against airplanes, so the basic system is old. And then it thinks of this old hardware also, that you have limited uh computational time, slow computations, not so much uh, storage. Um and then people try to guess what where is it necessary to use higher accuracy because it needs more computational time, and where can we skip it? And that also happened in the Ariane case, that on a few positions they knew to, they used higher accuracy. And in other positions, it didn't change the code, and then you get exactly this uh, behavior um, of the discrepancy.
1: If I remember correctly, the Ariana um, failure is the highlight of the, the I guess the showrunner of chapter, of
0: chapter two. Yeah, yeah, it's a classical problem um, where uh, you have a, a number that uh, contains the velocity, the horizontal velocity and they used the software of the old Ariane, but the new Ariane was faster, so also the horizontal velocity was higher, the number, and the digits that were used to represent this number were not enough. So Again, you had uh, an error. And There is also the problem, what do I do when an error happens? Often the software um, sees that uh, there is an error, and then you have to do some exception handling and tell the computer or the machine how to react to such an error. And that's the last error that happens, that you do this exception handling. You ignore it or you don't do it, because that could save the situation sometimes. So let's move to chapter three. Um,
1: This one focuses on mathematical modeling and discretization. To set the stage, what are the kinds of problems and the needs that drive the use of
0: discrete models like these. Um, so my my picture is when you look at the physical world and in the physics you have different levels of describing the world. So maybe 100 200 years ago there was the, the partial uh, the differential equation model where you thought of everything being continuous and you have some functions that describe your system. Then the quantum physics came And it turned out that everything is discrete. Nowadays, you have both models for describing the world, and you switch, where it does make, make more sense. And when you go to the computer, then you have to fit your thing in the computer. and The computer only accepts discrete numbers. So every problem that you have has to be discretized first in some way, to to get it in the computer. Um, And then there is an error, obviously. Because uh, either you, you do the discretization so fine that the discretization error is very small, but then you have a lot of computations, because you have a lot of data, very fine discretization. And then by the computations, you get an error. Or you use a course discretization, course description of your real world, then you have the error in this course description, obviously. And you have to find the optimum the value where both errors are small. But in the end, you have to deal with this discrete system and discretization. So when you describe the world, you put some grid around the world. And you only consider the grid points. You cannot consider in your mathematical equations every point of the Earth. That's impossible. And therefore, discretization is crucial, and especially this yeah, uh, finding what is the right coarseness or, or fineness of your discretization.
1: So one case study in this chapter uh, is a 1999 failure by the German Weather Service. So could you give me just the context and the consequences of this failure?
0: Okay, so the, um, there was a the storm Lothar, Lothar? Um that uh, went over Europe, and the German weather service didn't broad, uh, didn't forecast this uh, storm and therefore it hit the, the the country unprepared and caused a lot of deaths and and destroyed houses and so on. and unfortunately other weather forecasts made the better prediction. so the English, the Swiss, And then there was a big discussion what was uh, the origin of this wrong forecast. And basically, there were two ingredients that show the importance of accuracy also. The first ingredient, so when you do a weather forecast, you have to have the state of the Earth now to a certain point. And ideally, you would have to have all the information over all points on the Earth. That's impossible. So again, you have some grid points, you have some measurements. Also, there is an actual uh, problem now with the actual weather forecast uh, because airplanes are a basic tool of this weather forecast. Usually, you have a lot of airplanes fl- uh, fl- flying around and they all measure. And all these measurements go in the model, in the prediction. And with Corona, there were much less traffic, so there were much less weather uh, date, real weather date. And therefore, the prediction was the forecast was not so good. Uh, back to LOTA, the thing was that there was one measuring in U.S., Scotia, um, that they let a balloon uh, go up. And that measures uh, yeah, humidity, temperature, pressure in the air. And this first balloon crashed. So. One and a half hours later around, they sent another balloon. And then they used the measurement of this later balloon, but with the timestamp time of the first original balloon. So they used data that was one one and a half hour wrong. Okay, that seems not too bad, but especially with this uh, storm, it turned out that really this destroyed the numerical data. And was the, the purpose...
1: Was the purpose of imputing that old data simply to make sure that there were no missing values in the in the calculations that were being run, or was it an accident, something that should not have been <laughs> That's done? A
0: good question. I don't know. <laughs> I have to admit. Um, I think, yeah, people want to have it easy, and and uh, yeah. mm. um, and and the other, the second point was that the discretization at some point uh, was too coarse. So the weather prediction is very complicated because on the one side, you use the measured data from the airplanes, from the weather balloons, from your stations. On the other side, you also use the old predictions in some sense. So what you compute usually is an ensemble of different possibilities for the future. And then you look at this example uh, uh, ensemble. And when in this ensemble... Most of them do not predict a storm. Then you can be sure, okay, there is no storm. Um, And to mix this data, the real data and the computations that you have done before to get some useful uh, forecast is very complicated. And there, they used a coarse measure again, a coarse discretization. Afterwards, they changed it to make it uh, finer. And since this time, it seems that the forecast is better. So in the end, it was this combination, one wrong, better balloon, (laughs) and the other is this little bit coarse conglomeration of uh, real values and computed values. So I'd like to get a little bit deeper
1: into the mathematics involved here, whether is. The quintessential chaotic system, uh, in, especially in public communication of mathematics, when we talk about chaos, we often, if not always, talk about uh, Lorenz's experiments with deterministic weather systems and the sensitivity to initial conditions he observed. You introduced some terms here that might be less familiar. So could you say, what are ill-conditioned problems, and how is this property measured in systems?
0: Okay. Uh, that's for, for numerical method. That's a very basic uh, question. So usually, as I said in the beginning, your starting values cannot be a hundred percent exact because there are some measure- measurement errors. You have to put the numbers in the computer. There are some rounding errors. So all I put in my computations has some error, and this small error might cause some error in the output, in the result of my Uh, computations. And you can measure uh, this different, or the hope is that when you have only small errors in the input, you also have only small errors in the output. Then you are on the safe side. That's what you hope for. But there are problems where it happens that small changes in the input error can cause large errors in the output errors. That are exactly the chaotic systems for example like the weather prediction, or in in, in numerical methods, you call this the condition number. The condition number is exactly the possible relation between input error and output error. And when a a system, a problem, is ill-conditioned, then it means that you can have small input errors but exploding large output errors. And then you are lost in some sense. You've
1: described what actually resulted in this faulty forecast, and at the end of the at the end of this section where you describe this this failure, um, as often in the book you describe several related failures. Is there a general takeaway um that you draw from this collection of cases? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, so I think one general thing is that it's hard to predict things. So in Germany now we had this flooding. I don't know whether you you had in the news this flooding problems that whole villages were yeah destroyed yeah. And then there was a big discussion what has the politicians made wrong? And the problem is this type of flooding appeared for the first time, and uh, there was no possibility, no data to derive a prediction. And also when you Try to do some predictions now with all this knowledge that you know there might be rain that is dangerous it's very hard because it depends on the number of of the water that comes down and it depends on the landscape so you have really to do some deep uh, analysis to derive a prediction and afterwards it's always easy to say okay somebody (laughs) made a mistake But uh, often, it happens that such errors appear for the first time. There is also, in in the financial chapter, we talk about this black swan model, uh, or or, the black swan swan definition, um, that um, all the swans you know are white. So your prediction would be, if there is a new swan, it's also white. But then it turns out no, they are also black swans. But you cannot predict them because you don't have the information until you see them, and then you know okay, there they are, they exist. So uh, prediction is really very hard. And uh, afterwards, there are a lot of people that, in the rear view, predicted the, the right thing, and then they are the holy the saints. But it's random. You know, if they are. Thousand people that do some predictions, there are one or two where the the prediction turns out to be true. And then afterwards, they say, oh, there was this person that made the right prediction. But it's random. It's (laughs) statistics, more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing why predictions is so difficult is really the conditioning that we were talking about before, um, that it's very hard um, to guarantee small output errors. Uh, but prediction in general is, is pre- because you don't know how the world changes, also in the future. What who would have predicted mobile phones, smartphones, thirty years ago? Yeah, it's the same with computers. That uh, IBM said, "Okay, maybe there are ten ten persons that need a computer," <laughs> and then it turned out, "Okay, it's all over the world." Uh, and to predict such things is nearly impossible.
1: Mm. Yeah, predicting human systems strikes me as an order of magnitude harder, but yeah, even, even in these comparatively simple, simpler settings, uh, there's so many things that can play into an error. So I'm going to jump ahead to chapter five, which is, uh, which focuses on synchronization and scheduling, but which is also where my favorite case study in the book came. This was the first full launch of the space transportation system, commonly known as the space shuttle. What Was the reason for the launch delay on this on this
0: inaugural spacebound launch? Okay, Um, so the NASA uh, plans to have a safe system. If you have only one computer, you are not safe because this one computer might crash during the flight, and then you are lost. So the idea, the first idea, was to have four computers, identical computers with the same software, and if one computer crashes then they are still free, and they do some kind of voting. So all these four computers always do all the computations, and they vote, and as soon as there are more working computers, the vote is okay. And it is no problem when one or two computers fail. But the drawback of this system is that you have four identical computers, so it could also be the software that uh, fails. And then all, this four, all four computers would fail. So you add a fifth computer that is totally different, has a different hardware, has a different software. And now you let the system run with these four voting computers. And as long as this works, you don't need the fifth. But if the four computers fail because of some software error, then you can switch one time to the backup fifth computer with a different system where you hope, because of different hardware, different software, there Was no failure in this fifth computer, so that's the basic idea that sounds very reasonable. And then the problem is that we have to uh, schedule, yeah, um, there's a flow of information from the four computers to the fifth, such that the fifth computer can take over every time. As soon as uh, the, the four computers work, he is quiet, but as soon as there is an error, then the fifth computer. So it needs all the information um, from the flight before to take over. And therefore, has to be uh, a synchronization between these computers. And what happened was that in some line of code, there was added an additional command. By this command, the uh, runtime of the one of the computers was longer. And then the synchronization got lost. There was a very low probability that this could happen that showed the analysis afterwards. But exactly when the first start of the space shuttle was, that happened. That because of this uh, included code in these four computers, um, the synchronization couldn't work anymore because the runtime of one system was longer than expected. Actually,
1: yeah. if I may, um... This code was included after the, most of the software development that was prepped for the for the shuttle's use. Yeah. Why was this additional code uh, inserted cl- so close to the to the to the launch date or so late in the in the development?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess um, they didn't expect that it would make any difference. So there, there's a group of people working on the software, and uh, um. Yeah. So was this to, was this a was this a
1: patch to some other error, or was this a solution to yeah, some yeah, other exactly. problem? Exactly. I
0: think that when I, it's um, it's two years ago that we wrote the book. But you are right. There was sure. some uh, other error that uh, appeared in the code, and they wanted to uh, heal this error, and therefore they included this line of code. That's also something that often happens: that by removing some errors, you introduce some new errors. That might be harder than the original errors, and that was exactly what happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was some error in the synchronization that could happen in some special cases, and then they added this line of code, and then this caused uh, the final error. So this was only a PR disaster. It wasn't. Um, no one was hurt
1: because the launch was delayed. Though, in your telling, it seemed to herald other disasters that the Space Shuttle Program encountered. Um, what to you does this failure signal about NASA's mission philosophy at that time?
0: Yeah, yeah. So there was this philosophy: of faster, cheaper, better. Um, because they wanted to do more projects, more 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 satellites and everything. Um, and this exactly failed in some sense. That in the end it turned out that by changing the philosophy to this faster, cheaper, better got slower, uh, more expensive and more uh, faulty than before Um, but maybe I'm a little bit careful because when you look at the European Space Agency the same happened that they have the same number of errors they also have failed Mars missions so it's not only the NASA that had this Um, so yeah I think in real view, it's, it's a wonder that the Apollo mission was so successful in the end uh, when you think of this old equipment, mm-hmm, old mm-hmm. computers and everything. Um, but I think nowadays also computers are getting more and more complicated and it's more and more difficult to keep track of this million lines of code um, that you generate. Um, and in my opinion, it's still a wonder in some sense that we have not more uh, code failures. In uh, that case, we should give credit where
1: due to NASA, the European Space Agency, and others for the the, the track record they have, which ha- which is rich with failures, but not as rich as it might have been. It sounds
0: yeah, like. yeah. But I, yeah, I, I speak also from the whole world. When you think of your cellular phone, it has also a million line of code. Windows has millions of billions mm-hmm. of code, and that it still is working is really a, a, some wonder. And maybe that's thanks also to the computer scientists, that they develop more and more tools for writing good, reasonable software.
1: Mm, That's a a topic I don't think I've ever seen written about, which is the development of tools that make software development easier, safer, more secure.
0: So, In computer science, there are whole lectures about this, how to design and how to model the software developing process. Um, We do not talk about this in our book a lot because we are not really computer scientists. But that's really an important uh, part of it. Nor am I, clearly. But yeah, the book still was
1: very interesting to me as a a mathematical reader. So let me jump to the last um, case study that I want to discuss. Uh, Your book explicitly doesn't cover hardware bugs, uh, for instance, due to faulty chip design. But you do address in this chapter bugs that concern the interaction of hardware with software. So I guess in general, first off,
0: What are some of the ways in which these kinds of bugs might arise? So one one is chip design. And that's exactly maybe on the border, because a chip in the end is some kind of hardware. But when I develop a chip, I need software. And the software has to be better and better. So there could be a a mistake in the developing software that leads to a bug in the hardware, in the chip. So that's uh, one connection. And I think especially with this Pentium Pentium, uh, error in the division that we describe in the book, that was the case. But there again is a problem that the companies are not really open uh, in discussing their mistakes that they made. So especially for this development of the Pentium and the division bug, it's still not 100% clear what was the reason for this uh, error in, in the chip. That he made the division wrong. Um, there are different theories that were developed from mathematicians that analyzed the chip and the numerical unity uh, in the chip. Uh, but the companies are very careful with um, giving information about this. Um, but yeah, that's exactly one point that you have a hardware, and sometimes it's it's hard to, to decide whether it's a hardware or a software bug. That's also, and there we are a little bit open that we include some hardware bugs that might be uh, connected to software, but not 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good to be reminded that there's a fuzzy distinction between
1: a purely software problem and a purely yeah,
0: hardware. problem. The first view, it looks obvious what is hardware, what is software, but it's really a, mm-hmm. a connection between both. So you did
1: mention the Pentium division bug um, mm-hmm. as a possibly as a prerequisite. Do you could you Describe the difference um, between restoring versus non-restoring when it comes Mm -hmm. to integer division.
0: Yeah, yeah. So usually you have a restoring division scheme when you do it by hand. So when you do the division, you do some guess. So you say, okay, in this number, uh, uh, one number fits three times in the number, and then my digit is three. So when I made a wrong guess, so for example, when I checked four, And with the factor four, it doesn't fit to the division, then I have to go back. So I do, and that's how I do it by hand. When I use a wrong guess, I have to correct it, go one step back, and use the next guess, and hoping that the next guess is right. So when I divide 19 by three, so there could be, it's a factor two, (laughs) or it's a factor four, or five. So I don't know in the beginning, so I have to do some guess. The non restoring there, When I have the wrong guess, I do not correct it. I do not go back, but I proceed. And then I try to repair this wrong guess that I did in the previous steps in the following step. Therefore, usually, it's also allowed to do some differences. Usually, I only allow additions uh, to fill up my number that uh, I want to divide. But therefore, they are also negative, because I have to take into consideration the wrong gas that I did before. So That's the basic idea of this restoring, non-restoring, that I don't have to go back. And that's a big disadvantage in the uh, restoring um, division that I always have to store the previous state and when I fail in the actual state I have to go back to the previous state. Mm -hmm. Start over again. And that'll come up in a discussion of the bug,
1: but the human story here is actually also quite fascinating. So um, could you tell the story of how this bug was discovered and how it was disseminated
0: through the user community? Yeah. So, as I said before, the computer always does errors. Um, so, it's hard to find examples where you really see obviously that there is an error in your computations. And one thing is when you uh, do mathematical, uh, also when you develop code for us, for answering mathematical questions. So a question about prime numbers or or things like that, you really have the mathematics behind, and you know what should be a result. So for example, when I divide six by three, then I know the result is two. When the result is 2.1, then I know, okay, there is some error. And the story with this uh, pension bug was that Thomas nicely used this software in some mathematical sense to answer some question about prime numbers. There he knew the result. And also he had the results from his old computer. And then he used the Pentium and compared it. And he saw, okay, there's other numbers. And the discrepancy or the difference is so large that it cannot be a rounding error. And then he found out that there is some error in the division. And then a lot of uh, analysis started, also in the whole mathematical community, Uh, because uh, Intel was not so open-minded and helpful. So first they said, okay, it's not a big error and uh, there's no error or it's not big or um, there are some statistics uh, how often it does occur and things like that. But mathematicians really worked hard on it and tried to describe as a black box this error without really knowing what happened inside the division in the Intel. And... um, In the end, there was an uproar, something like a flash mob. (laughs) Nowadays, I would say a flash mob. That the community of buyers of Intel processors was so upset that Intel really had to react in some sense. And then they replaced all the faulty Pentium after having corrected the error. So that's also one of the first things such flash mob or internet uh, uproar (laughs) appeared.
1: So let's get into the bug itself. Um I want to just ask what caused it. Uh, I believe the algorithm in question was called the RADX4 or RADX4. So how what did this alg what, what was the hardware-coded component that this algorithm relied on and where was it where was this bug coming from? Mm-hmm. Um
0: so what you do in this RADX4 is um that you also use some predictions, as you do by hand, usually. So you have a whole table uh, starting with your situation that you have now in the actual step of your division. Uh, You have your actual reminder and you have your divisor. And then out of a table you can read off the next guess for your result. And this table is crucial. And it is in some sense symmetric. um, But in the real world, it wasn't symmetric. That also depends on some rounding effects that you are well, rounding up or down. And we think maybe that the developers thought it is symmetric. So they entered in this table in certain positions, no values, where the division algorithm needed some value, some guess. And then these lacking values were interpreted as zeros. And when you step exactly in this, this um position that you need this one value in your table um, that you didn't fill in before because you expected that it wouldn't happen anymore, then a wrong zero was used as a next guess in your division, and that introduced the error. I don't know whether that's really uh, helpful, but (laughs) it's complicated.
1: Yeah, yeah. The use of lookup tables is... um... An interesting decision made when 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 you're developing when you're building an algorithm for whatever fit purpose, and in fact that 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 leads me to something I wanted to ask was in the larger world of fit to purpose hardware, which we see a lot more of nowadays. A colleague of mine was really fond of um, Raspberry Pis, for example, where you sort of build up the CPU or the the processing unit itself for a specific problem you want or a specific um, calculation you want to run. And as a result, you can get these very rapid iterative uh, calculations and these very nice uh, real-time graphics out of them, but for again, for one purpose at a time. I guess the question is, are we seeing a, a fuzzier line between software bugs and hardware bugs as computational devices that are fit to purpose become more common and the, the, the the building of hardware itself becomes more of a user dis- uh, decision than a
0: manufacturer decision. Hmm. That's a good question. So I think on the one side, that's also the, the hope with quantum computing, maybe, uh, to broaden the view a little bit, um, that you need very good computers and uh, trustworthy computers to develop the next generation of computers. So maybe uh General purpose or special application processors and computers, um, and and the hope is that with the better computers that we develop now, we are able to develop even better computers in the future. So you have some kind of uh, growing accuracy, um, and especially for quantum computing, that's still an open question um, whether it's possible to to formulate all the, and to to move our normal computations that we do nowadays with our PC on the quantum computer. That's still um, an open question, I guess, because there are not algorithms for all these quantum computing things. Mm -hmm. Um, But the hope is that with better computers to develop much better computers, and then it's, yeah. So, let me ask one question
1: about the appendix. This is a fairly short chapter that you end with and um, includes uh, quite an assortment of smaller case studies, some of them apocryphal, some of them quite amusing. Um, is there one that you thought that you had an especially fun time uh, looking into that might be
0: good to share? Yeah, so my, my favorite story is a torpedo story. Uh, that's not 100% true, but um, so the problem during Second World War was that the torpedoes are, very, are not very reliable. So there is a current in the sea, and it often happened that the torpedo came back to the own ship. Um, so the idea was to, to include some measurement in the torpedo when it changes the direction more than 90 degrees, uh, then it explodes to avoid this self-destroying of a ship. And now the story go- the legend goes there was a, a subway submarine with a captain, and they wanted a test they they were shooting the torpedo, but the torpedo was stuck in the uh in the boat and then the captain said, "Okay, let's turn around and then exactly this ninety degree mechanism brought the torpedo to explosion, and uh the whole ship went down so it's it's only a um, legend, but uh, yeah I, I don't know whether weapons are really good for describing this <laughs> to to producing some laughter, uh, so maybe it helps that you say it's not really a really story it's only uh, a legend. Yeah, that's a- that's a fair point.
1: I mean there's lots to learn even from the most tragic stories that you recount in the book and to be fair, this is a book about software failures. It's important to acknowledge the human costs even when they are not lives, but they are there. And um and you do I think I think you're fair in your acknowledgment um that these that these software failures have real-world consequences and that's a pretty powerful motivator for the depth of examination you take in them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Maybe only one short comment about two things, so one is the Boeing seven uh, what was seven four seven max problem that unfortunately came after our book appeared um that's also a very interesting case. So when we do a second round second edition of the book, this case will be included. The other thing that we have in the book are the automotive things and the artificial intelligent things, and they are also very important. So automotive, for example, you have this, all these ethical problems. When you have an aut- autopilot and you know you cannot avoid a crash, then the computer has to decide whom to kill. Yeah, The, the car could approach a, a mother with a baby or a senior or, or kids. And I don't know whether you know this trolley trolley problem,
1: Yes, they've, yeah. they've become something of an internet meme, too, so it's hard to avoid yeah, exactly. them.
0: exactly, and that also is important in this all these autopilot things. And I, I guess that it uh, slows down the whole process, not only the technical things that are also very big in this autonomous driving, but also these ethical questions, because you really have to decide what should the computer do. Some say, okay, it should do some random decision, because it cannot decide... Uh, but that are really ethical problems that go also with the software and with the software uh, development. Mm-hmm.
1: And that is a good place, I think, to wind down. Um, so to begin wrapping up, could you share perhaps a piece of scholarship or media that makes a good companion
0: to this book? Um, so there is a book of Patterson. Um, ah, I forgot. I forgot the name. Uh, mm, there's my my web maybe that is also or the the web page that goes with the book. Ah, it would be uh, good to plug that. Yes, there is a yeah, web page yeah. associated with the book, and yeah, exactly. The book so contains we included many... things that go over, so they came after the book already was published. There were new cases, and then we collected them on a web page, also this long... Oing, uh, thing. Um, Am I
1: right to remember that the that code for the many examples included in the book is contained on the website as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's not a book that is similar to to our book in some sense. Either it's more from the computer science um, direction, or it's more uh, for a general uh, audience without uh, avoiding all the math things. So in this sense, our book is really special.
1: Um, Yeah. Let me ask a different question then. Um, Was there a book that you and um, Tobias had in mind when you were writing your book that you thought of maybe as a proof of concept or a great um, something to not necessarily emulate, but Mm. a book that showed you what was possible in 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 putting together this kind of work?
0: Yeah. So I have to admit, when I started to work on this book, my goal was really, to do more entertainment. Um, And then Toby joined me, and he really uh, changed the direction. Uh, And and I'm happy about this, because, okay, entertainment, yeah, you can write like a novel uh, things, but um, with Toby, it was really that we tried to consider each case and to dig down um, in the really origin of the bug. And also, uh, monitor the discussion in the scientific community about different possibilities uh, and aspects of such a bug. And that was really uh, some better uh, view on the book. Um, and um, yeah, maybe therefore it got harder to understand and harder to read, but it's also thought as some kind of uh, compendium where you have a certain bug, and then you want to dig in this bug, and then in the book you find really all the different aspects. Uh, and that, in this form, it, it, it didn't, um, or in this general form, it didn't exist before. So in this sense, it's new. There is this book on on from Levinson, um, that, but it's more computer science related, um, and not this. Mixture of math and computer science that we have, and really digging down to get the reason below. So let me ask um, a traditional final question,
1: which is, what's um, what's on your? Let me sorry, back up. What are you working on now? Um, articles, books in the works, new
0: collaborations? Okay, that's a good question. So I'm retired. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm enjoying my spare time or my, my holidays. But what we do is that really we we follow the development, the new bugs. And now last weeks we had meetings where we try to include we also have this seminar where we give topics from the book to the students, also to get the new developments. So what, what was new in, in the Pentium, for example? Is there some new literature? And now we try to include this and maybe that could lead to a second edition of the book. Uh, that's what I do mainly. I'm still teaching a little bit, uh, giving seminars, but I am sneak out, more or less. <laughs> and, yeah, retirement is never absolute. Yeah, Sometimes there are people that do a lot of research after retirement. There are people that still do some teaching. So for me, it's Sneaking out and replacing these <laughs> things more and more by playing the flute, playing volleyball, uh, sports, and other things. As a fellow volleyball player, I appreciate
1: that you, that it's even recognized. Or were you, yeah. the, the squash court volleyball, or do you just mean volleyball, traditional volleyball? The, the traditional or the beach volleyball. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so thanks a lot for talking with me. Um, I've been talking with. Uh, Thomas Fuchle, about his and Tobias Neckel's book, Bits and Bugs, a scientific and historical review of software failures in computational science, published in 2019 by the Society for Industrial and Applied Mathematics, or SIAM. Thomas, thank you so very much for making time. Yeah, thank you for your um, effort that
0: you made with this blog.